Welcome to the Idle Book Club for December 2016. We're getting this podcast in just in time. I am Chris Remo. I'm Sarah Arkadale. And this month we're discussing The Sellout by Paul Beatty. The Sellout is a deeply and darkly satirical novel about race in modern America. Uh, And we had, I think, a lot of... um, complex thoughts about it that we're going to try and sort out in this episode really quickly before we do that let us announce what we're reading next month which is Wuthering Heights by Emily Bronte so we're going back a couple hundred years yeah which is a first for for us you and I on this podcast Mm -hmm. yeah you and me I should say why did you choose that book real quick um I think Wuthering Heights is I mean I'm not alone in this and thinking that it is a great novel, but it's one that I read when I was very, very young. So I would be curious to reread it. Um, And it's something that you have never read. So this Mm -hmm. is a good good excuse for you to read a classic Gothic novel. That's true. I'm I'm criminally underread in British literature of that era. Um, So uh, it should be a good learning experience for me. Yeah, maybe this will get you to read more. We'll go deep into the Brontes. Yeah, maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, all right, so The Sellout. Um, this book tells the story of a resident of a kind of pseudo-city, former a former city, now kind of unincorporated settlement um, in, in the Los Angeles area, a town called Dickens. And this guy ends up sort of inadvertently, reintrodu- in, initially inadvertently reintroducing um, sort of institutionalized segregation and to a smaller extent slavery into his community in an attempt to um, recreate and revitalize it. Um, as you might expect from that uh, that plot, <laughs> this is a really dark book, but also uh, as could probably only be possible um, with such a plot set in the modern era is um, satire and uh, very, very sharply so. Um, this book was the first American novel to win the Booker Prize, which is a very prestigious literary prize, uh, until recently only given to authors from the United Kingdom and the Associated Commonwealth. Um, And I think it is really striking and significant that this was the first American novel to win that award because it is so incredibly American, both in, I think, its style of very biting literary satire as well as um, even more importantly, the incredibly American take on race relations that deal with issues that are just as as present and crucial as they've ever been uh, in the United States. Um, so it really feels like a statement on the on the part of the Booker Awards Committee that this was the first American novel to win that award. Yeah, it's a really interesting choice for this to be the first non-Commonwealth author book to win the prize because it feels so specific to America. It's it's especially interesting to me because the previous year's winner of the Man Booker was A Brief History of Seven Killings by Marlon James, which is, uh, Marlon James is a Jamaican-born writer, and uh, Brief History deals a lot with uh, racial, racial relations in Jamaica, so between Jamaicans and um, Westerners who colonized Jamaica and with with some aspects of Jamaican immigrants in uh, America. So it, it does have American racial 
issues in it as well, but it feels like a much more globalist kind of take on race problems, whereas the sellout is, again, so tied to American hangups and neuroses on um, racial issues. It's just incredibly fascinating to me that both of these books um, right next to each other won this prize um, and it feels like they're 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 coming at this universal problem from from very different viewpoints I mean which just says that racism and race relations are a, incredibly complex problems and you can have many different viewpoints on yeah. them and and this book deals with it in an almost a hyper local way Right. right. It's almost the opposite of a globalist uh, perspective. I mean, obviously, it's dealing with issues that that resonate nationwide, but through the lens of an incredibly specific community. Um, and you were saying to me earlier that there were I, I haven't read the the forum thread yet for this book on our on the Idol book club forums. But you were saying that um, there were several non-Americans in that thread who commented that despite their enjoyment of the book, they did feel as though. Uh, being from other places put them at something of a remove from uh, from the text. And, uh, you know, I completely can see how that would be the case. Yeah, which is not, I should say, a fault of the book. I mean, I think it is good in some cases for a book to be written for a very specific audience, which oh, yeah. this book definitely feels like, um, in, in a way, the audience doesn't even feel like it's, um, people like us necessarily. Um, I keep thinking of the the scene at the end of this book, right, um, where the main character goes to this comedy club to to listen to this um, up and coming black comedian, and there happens to be this white couple there, and there's this entire scene where the comedian kicks the white couple out and says like, "You you can't participate in this. This is our thing," right? And it's this whole like complicated issue where the protagonist doesn't necessarily agree or disagree with what's happening and I couldn't help but kind of identify with that couple right. in in reading this book where it's just like is you know I'm laughing at all these jokes that are very specific to the black experience in America and and it's cuz it's funny it's very insightful funny stuff but also at the back of my mind I'm just like should I really be laughing at this because the stuff is not like meant for me necessarily which like mm -hmm. is something that that kind of like liberal back flipping kind of thinking that i'm having is definitely something that this book also satires and it would mock relentlessly so like even knowing that i can't right. help yeah, but feel creating a vortex of right like self-doubt and uh sort of self-criticism right which yeah. which this book like you know correctly identifies as a huge problem for the way that like black and white people in this country try to talk about race where everyone is attempting to you know be some kind of platonic ideal of how of talking about well even the notion of talking about race at all is sort of skewered in the novel right the idea being that like i mean the, the you know the author or, or at least the the perspective character makes the claim that like black people do not even do that in the way that that white people are obsessed with with trying to, mm -hmm. um, yeah, this this is a book that s suggests a lot of um, really incredibly um, insightful, informed, intelligent ob observations about uh, about race, and also makes many of the problems described in the book through the sort of microcosm of satire 
makes these problems seem even more intractable and impossible um, to deal with. It's, uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I guess actually before we get too too far in, I, I think I can infer your answer to this based on on what you've said so far. But did you did you like this book overall? We you know, we always ask that, and then we haven't yet about this one. Yeah, I I think this book is hilarious. I was you know skimming through parts of it before we recorded this to refresh my memory, and just like laughing at how funny and how great of a writer Paul Beatty is. Even even when like he's um, having these having characters say these kind of outrageous statements it's so beautifully constructed so the humor is great but also just the prose is um really really well done um there's some beautiful lines in this book um and then again it's also just hilarious the whole way through even though you're like dealing with some of the most upsetting concepts possible yeah i think this book is great I was more, uh, I had to struggle more against some of that stuff. Um, not the subject matter, which is obviously uh, challenging and, you know, um, sort of vibrant in, in, in really distressing ways. Um, I tend to have a natural, um, I, I, for some reason, when I when I come up against writing that is really overtly satirical and overtly almost acrobatic, by which I mean, you know, a lot of the writing in this book is extraordinarily impressively constructed. This is right. This is one of those novels where you can imagine the author sort of laboring over every sentence because so much is going on in the interplay between words and the construction of of the sentences against themselves and even, you know, the way the characters speak against the, the sort of non-dialogue parts. Uh, and I, I often find myself sort of naturally resistant to that um, because the artifice is so clear. Um, and I, that is not really a criticism to draw against this book in particular, but more something that I frequently find myself butting up against when I read books that are very, um, very ambitiously, uh, written in that way and I had to I had to really push through it at the beginning because this book jumps in sort of head first into outrageousness right it starts um, chronologically towards the end of the story uh, in which the the primary character who, who doesn't have a first name does he it's just me his last name which mm-hmm. is you know again we don't like, know what his first name is right uh, well that's that's what I mean yeah in the, in the novel he doesn't have one um he's already in this sort of outrageous Supreme Court case to decide the meaning, I suppose, of all of his um, possibly unconstitutional acts. And I really had to sort of wade through my own um, my own tendency to like not want to um, receive that type of literary satire. It's just a, a thing I always have. But I will say that when I was able to to get over myself, um, I really thought this book was incredible. I mean, mainly because it's so relentless. I When you described this book to me initially as this book is about someone who reintroduces slavery and segregation, and then I read it, and the beginning of the novel, you know, is set in the Supreme Court case, and so I, I um, was thinking, oh, okay, well, that's what that's about. But it's not, re- that's, that isn't even really necessarily what the book is about. The book is sort of this weird, like, Mr. Magoo 
Rube Goldberg situation where the 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 little rock just rolls down the snow covered mountain and the snowball gets bigger and bigger and bigger until it turns into this this bizarre you know unstoppable force pushing through this town with weirdly positive outcomes in some cases um it and that gives the book a sense of strange momentum you know because in a way you're almost rooting for this guy to succeed with what he's doing because the the overall message i got from the book and i i don't i don't like the idea of sort of boiling it down to a message and i'm i would like to hear what you what your response is to this the sensation i really got from the book is that racial the racial disparity in this country is so entrenched and so intractable in in terms of how we currently deal with it that it is actually more harmful to act as though it isn't just as present as it was during Jim Crow or slavery um, as now. And by like in this obviously like fictional and satirical and not literally intended solution being presented, at least there is something to uh, frame these issues. And even that is sort of an improvement over a state of affairs in which these issues are, 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 not acknowledged to exist to the degree they do. Does that make sense? That was kind of what I took from the segregation element of this book. Yeah, I mean, I I guess that's why he continues to mock this concept of post-racial America by, like, really shoving in your face how non-post-racial we are in this country, even though that that is a thing that that people love to say, um, especially you know, immediately after Obama's first uh, term to election. Um, it's it's kind of fascinating to me that this book um, is skewering this complacency that a lot of people have in saying that, oh, we don't have a racism problem in this country anymore. Because it, it, I think this book kind of came out before... Like right at um, the moment before a lot of people finally came to terms with the fact that we are not living in a post-racial country. Um, I, I can't really remember but exactly, but in my mind, this book predates um, police killings of, of black people, like really. Maybe. It came out in 2015. Right, but it... I mean, it may be maybe um, as that stuff was picking up steam. I mean, it was certainly I would imagine it was written before a lot of that entered the consciousness of white America. Right. That's pr- what I probably. mean. Um, um, because it, I assume he was writing it for a few years right. leading up to its release. Yeah. And then, you know, it obviously predates the most recent presidential election, which like I read this book prior to the 2016 election and then kind of re-examining it after it, it it's even like i mean it's just even more horrible and actually is is less funny because um i found that to be true as well it's kind of like okay well you know we still have all of these problems but at least like it we can sort of pretend like it feels like there's some kind of good momentum because we elected obama and and people are 
talking about these issues more, but then, like, there's this, you know, crazy backlash that comes through the 2016 presidential election, and I I just kind of want Paul Beatty to write a sequel to this novel that deals with Trump's election and, and all that that says about racism in this country. Although, you know, I was re- when I was rereading the book, there's this, um, he has this whole paragraph where he talks about how, you know, people say, why don't we, we don't talk about racism enough. And he's, um, oh, s- sorry, no, it's not that paragraph. It's the, the one where he's saying that anytime a magazine headline has a, a question it the answer is always no mm-hmm. um and he's like listing off all of these like humorous titles and one of them is um is the right is anti-semitism on the rise and he says no because it never went away right. right and it's like oh my god that's hilarious but also like incredibly upsetting because like obviously like now we have seen the result of this election and like we really have to face the fact that that is true and not just like a humorous insight but like we are dealing with that right and I, I mean to me the the recent political events in this country are entirely in keeping with the sort of moral universe that this novel sets up right, right. i mean this is this is uh this is a novel that does not attempt to i mean this is a novel that that very much rails against fooling yourself into believing that some arbitrary event indicates that that bro- that broadly um forces have uh, tides tides have turned when it comes to these forces right um and i you know i yeah i i i mean i guess that's it i i on the one hand i i agree that so i read this book after the election and it did make it i think harder to read than it otherwise would have which you know i mean i'm sure anyone listening to this podcast is not surprised by our feelings on that, but um, but it also felt entirely sort of horribly appropriate to the world as depicted by this novel. Right? It's like Paul Beatty or the protagonist of the sellout is this hilarious Cassandra that's saying like all this stuff is gonna you know come back to to bite everybody in the ass who is pretending like it's not an issue, and and now we're seeing I mean, the results of that in the novel. It's heavily implied that Barack Obama himself is one of the people who is present at one of the meetings of the dumb, dumb donut intellectuals. Right. Um, and that in itself is already kind of a a a um, deflating of the historical sort of magnitude and, and symbolism of, you know, Barack Obama as the first black president. Um, obviously, that is in the context of a book that that mercilessly skewers every target it has but not you know nonetheless um it all it all just seems everything this all just seems to fit in a, in a horrible way right like the speaking of that the the final page of this book is kind of mocking um the elation of obama's election um where the the foy cheshire character who is a uh, just satire of a certain kind of black intellectual and a, a nemesis i guess of the the main character throughout the book nemesis, yeah. um you know celebrating obama's election and and saying stuff like oh they finally like they being like white america has finally paid us back and the, the main character is listing off all these other groups that have you know been horribly wronged by this country and have have not received any 
um, collection or uh, reward or any any um, solace, right? And and talk about just like like you were saying this deflating moment of like, oh, all right, no single act is going to make up for all of this um, evil that has been committed in the past and it's ludicrous to to try to pretend that 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 is the case um yeah I mean again this book is hilarious like we're talking about it and these heavy subjects and you know it is really upsetting but um Paul Beatty is also a very very good comic writer he um, is although again because of my sort of previously stated um this uh kind of natural inclinations towards this kind of writing. I It was really hard for me to ever find it actually hilarious. Again, not, not because of this book in particular or any deficiency of its quality or anything, but because I just sort of always have that reaction to um, this kind of really ornate literary satire. And that in itself is not a, is, is fine. Like that doesn't detract from my kind of broader enjoyment of the book, but given how, relentlessly dark this book was it did make it a challenge for me at times because i didn't get the benefit of sort of of that of the of the even the dark levity you know right i you you described having difficulty with the beginning of the book and i also remember um really struggling because you're right that it it just like goes from the the first page and um it's interesting because i was as you were describing the relentlessness of the prose i was thinking that it kind of reminds me of poetry um Mm. it like i i probably like a lot of people struggle with reading poetry because it does feel so much more artificial than just prose style and um paul bd is also in addition to being a novel writer has written a lot of poetry so i wonder if that is like an influence on um, the style, because I think you could definitely describe at least the first chapter is kind of like, um, what do they call it? Prose and verse or um, this just very, very poetic style of writing that on my second read through was a lot easier to handle because I knew right. what yeah, to expect. Um, but so you are a big fan of people like Kurt Vonnegut, who is a famous satirist, right? Mm-hmm. Um, do you not find that his his style of satire is the same as um, no, as so, kinetic? Yeah, that's a good that's a good point. I would actually say that a better comp- so Kurt Vonnegut has a um, a style that is very loose. That I would say is not true of this novel. I would. This is a really. Um, this is. A, I'm sure this is a comparison. People make to all kinds of authors all the time, and I'm sure it's sort of insufferable to hear it, but it's just, it comes to mind for me. The style of this book reminds me more of something like David Foster, someone like David Foster Wallace, where- It was referenced in this book, Yeah, that's actually. true. He actually is, just by DFW, yeah. like in one line in the book. Um, and the the difference to me between someone like Vaughn, and this is not, I'm not saying a difference in sort of- quality you know or goodness but a, a difference in kind for me between an author like Vonnegut and an author like David Foster Wallace or I would say um, Paul Beatty in The Sellout is that the latter have this like incredibly constructed quality you know where again every word is sort of like painstakingly 
Uh, maybe it's putting it a bit, maybe that's overdoing it a bit, but like as you read each sentence, it feels like, ah, this has all been slotted in in an extraordinarily intelligent and crafted way. And the reason I, I bring this up as a comparison is because I, I really like David Foster Wallace and Infinite Jest, his, his you know... Um, uh, magnum Opus. Ma- yeah, Magnum Opus is, I think, a like, principal example of the kind of, of writing I'm talking about. And as a reader... Um, yeah, I mean that book is even more sort of Byzantine and, and 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 weird than this one in that regard. And I, as much as I loved that book, it it was already incredibly long, and it took me, I think, even longer per page to get through it because I had to struggle through that kind of constructed quality of it. Um, I would say this book is lighter on its feet than Infinite Jest, certainly, but but that is like an example of the kind of mind space I'm in when I read very. Um, very constructed literary fiction, uh, literary satire of this type. Um, speaking of other books that it reminds you of, uh, thinking of it, 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 this book reminds me a lot of um, The Brief and Wondrous Life of Oscar Wu, both in the fact that it's dealing with um, ra- the issue of race and also that it is this very, it's written in this very like um, casual but intelligent style where the voice of the protagonist just sounds like the voice of a regular person talking, but like if they were maybe able to, in like a split second, revise their sentence before they say it. Right. It's it's like um the like a Sorkin written TV right, show where right. everyone is like yeah. casual but also impossibly witty, and and sometimes that's fine. Like, and you know about me that I struggle with that too, right? Like, I totally struggle against dialogue written by people like Sorkin, Joss Whedon, um, like Amy Sherman Palladino of the Gilmore Girls. Like, I really my brain rebels against that kind of sort of overtly witty. Sure. Dialogue. I think it's a lot easier to take on the page than watching I real agree. humans yeah, I agree. do it. Um, I, I think that it, it works fine in, in this book. Um, although I, I agree. I think on the page it totally works. Yeah. I, I do agree that, that that beginning is like definitely, it just spits you right into it. And But ultimately I appreciate that. Like I don't want to have all of my musings on this confused with criticism or ultimate lack of enjoyment. Because I, I, having now read the book, I think throwing you into the deep end like that probably works to its benefit. You know, like, you know, you're getting into something like intense and of a, of a certain style right from page one. And I think there's a lot of value to that. You know, um, Umberto Eco has written about that, I think, in the postscript of The Name of the Rose, about the value of sort of front loading what your readers are going to be up against so that if they can get through that they can that they're good you know they can get through the whole thing right yeah Um, and the beginning of this book definitely sets you up to know that you are going to read a lot of um uncomfortable if hilarious takes on various um issues of race in in america um so yeah well sounds like we liked it yeah um just another note that i wanted to make about this book um it, over the, the past couple of months you know obviously we're s- still very upset about how the election went in in this country so that was one of the motivators for um, me 
picking this book as a choice because I, I think it is like an important book for people to read. And um, I think there have just been um, a lot of popular, well-received books over the past couple of months that have dealt with similar topics of race, although, you know, they, they haven't been straight out satires, right? Um, like Zadie Smith just had a, a new novel come out called Swing Time that like indirectly deals with race. And there's Colson Whitehead's novel, um, Ye Kiasi, who I talked about, I think, on a previous episode. So it really um, feels like there are um, just a, a lot of books, like one being published and two being well recognized by lots and lots of people um, that are dealing with these race issues, um, which like can be kind of a like both a sadness to read about knowing what our current climate is, but also a comfort and just like reading this stuff and um, trying to better understand these issues. So I'm I'm glad that the sellout is getting recognized, and I hope yeah. that people enjoyed reading it. Yeah, I hope so too. All right. Well, um, should we um, wrap it up there, I guess? Sure. We, are, as I said before, or, or actually, as Sarah said before, our next novel is Wuthering Heights by Emily Bronte. Um, we obviously have been running late with this podcast recently, so we're going to do our best to get that out to you in January um, 2017 for the new year. Um, and actually, before we wrap this up, I wanted to read an email from Ira Marks. I've realized I've been sort of, uh, I've been lax in, in dealing with our inbox. You can get us at books at idlethumbs.net if you have anything to um, to say about the upcoming book we're reading or about uh, the podcast in general, books in general. Um, I will be I will do a better job of checking this inbox going forward. Again, that is books at idlethumbs.net. And here is an email from Ira Marks who says, Hi, Sarah. In an early episode, you mentioned the Neapolitan novels by the Italian author Elena Ferrante. My mother was born in Massachusetts, but her parents are from Naples. She spent the last few years reconnecting with her Italian family and history, so I thought I'd send her the book since they, since they seem to deal with similar themes. Jackpot. She sent, spent the summer reading and loving each one of them, but like any great read, you start to get worried when you near the final pages. She has 20 pages left in the last book, and I thought since you'd recommended them, you might have an idea of something she should read next. She and I share a number of authors we both enjoy, but I'm at a loss as to what might be a good follow-up to this series. Do you have any suggestions? Thanks to you and Chris for a great podcast. I remarks. Um, I mean, the easiest suggestion would be to just read everything else that Elena Ferranti <laughs> has written. Um, I, I did that after I finished the Neapolitan novels, and it's while it doesn't deal with the same characters, it's still like recognizably mm-hmm. in her style. So it kind of fills that that need, um, that hole that you have once you finish the Neapolitan novels. And that book is? She's written a bunch. The, the oh. only one that I've read um, that is n- not part of the Neapolitan uh, series is called Days of Abandonment, which is about uh, this woman who is going through this divorce with her husband. I guess it's technically a novella. Um, it's, I mean, it's fantastic. It's Elena Ferrante. You can't can't go wrong. Well, there you go. She also wrote a children's novel. That's right. Yeah. Too, which I would love to read. Maybe we can read a children's book for. Uh, <laughs> That'll be fun. Yeah. That'll be an interesting challenge. Actually, mm-hmm. I wouldn't mind doing that. Okay. Um, Elena Ferrante. All right. Well, uh, there you go. Days of Abandonment by Elena Ferrante. 
Um, thanks for joining us. We will be back soon with Wuthering Heights by Emily Bronte. And thank you for listening. We're on Twitter at Idle Book Club. Uh, you can find our website at idlebookclub.com. And you can send us email at books at idlethumbs.net. We're on iTunes and I think, you know, places most podcasts are. Consider telling a friend or leaving us a review on the iTunes store if you like this podcast. And we will talk to you soon.